Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. After a weird, really weird 90 minutes of soccer, the U.S. men's national team fall 2-0 to Costa Rica. But boy, oh boy, the bigger picture is that the U.S. men's national team have officially qualified for the 2022 World Cup. And that feels so good to say, man, I just, before the game, I went to a Mexican restaurant and got some food and, and uh, I'm, I'm friends with the owner and he's he's Mexican, he's from outside of Mexico City. And even then he was like, you know, it's, you don't know that you're going to qualify yet. You don't know yet. You, you, you haven't, it hasn't happened yet. Stranger things can happen. So it's like, just the fact that, uh, that we were able to get the job done is so damn, it feels so good. Uh, now that being said, uh, kind of a frustrating night for the U.S. men's national team. Kind of a, a weird, really weird game of soccer. And I think we'll get into all that on this episode, this live episode of the Yank Report. What's up? My name's Sam. This is Yank Report, the show we talk about the U.S. men's national team. If you want to follow along on the road to Qatar, this is the channel to do it. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the like button. If you're in the, uh, if you're if you're live with us right now, you can leave a comment. Your comment might get featured on air. Uh, we're going to talk about this really weird game of soccer that we just watched. Right after this, we got a sponsor. We got to do the business. We got like 40 seconds of an ad and then we'll jump right in. And now a word from today's sponsor, Bet Online. would like to wish you a happy betting new year as we continue our march towards the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all betting action in 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website. Sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, and of course, soccer, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available in 2022. Bet is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. Let's jump right into the comment section because I think El Tiburon has, has kind of summed it up nicely for us. Uh, well, bummer of a way to end it, but... It's over and we're in. And I think that that's like my overwhelming sentiment as we uh, kind of break down what we just watched. Let's start out with the lineup because the U.S. really went for it. I mean, Zach Steffen, DeAndre Yedlin, Walker Zimmerman, Miles Robinson, Anthony Robinson, Tyler Adams, Eunice Musa, Kellen Acosta, Tim Weah, Ricardo Pepe, and Christian Pulisic. That's a pretty strong lineup for a team that only needed to not get beat by six points uh, for um, – in order to qualify for the World Cup. I mean, Greg Verhalter said in his press conference that they wanted to win this game. They wanted to do something that no other national team, U.S. men's national team, has done before, which is beat Costa Rica in Costa Rica, and they put out a lineup to do it. Now, one thing, an interesting caveat, is uh, I know that there's been a lot made about how difficult it is to play in Costa Rica, and it truly is. But one thing that should be pointed out is they were playing in the Estadio Nacional, not Estadio Saprissa. Saprissa was the traditional stadium that was just so damn difficult to play in. It's the one that uh, if if you've seen the videos of like the ceiling kind of like caving in and like just being so loud and so terrifying, that was Saprissa. Estadio Nacional is the new stadium. It was actually paid for by the Chinese government as part of this program where China is like paying for stadiums all over the world in order to gain some type of you know, whatever they're up to with the Chinese government. But that's why the stadium looks so new and is so nice. Uh, it's not a Saprissa, it's the new stadium. But Costa Rica, to their credit, they actually put out a really young, really inexperienced team. And uh, and they were worried about the yellow cards because if they got yellow cards in this game, it potentially affect them in the, uh, in the playoff game. And they were kind of gung-ho for the playoff game. Uh, but that set up a really, really weird game where kind of neither team, like, was really caring about the result. Like both teams kind of just wanted to get through the 90 minutes. Uh, and that's sort of, that's sort of how it went down. Let's jump back into the comment section with Joe Crusher real quick. He says, I hate that we qualified like that. I don't think that was our best lineup. We legitimately could have topped the group. I hope we get a good draw and a better coach. I mean, as far as the lineup goes, I it's, it's interesting because we don't really know because of the stomach bug, like the stomach bug threw a real wrench into things. And, and we don't really know how all the players were feeling. Apparently, Gio Reyna took the worst of the stomach bug uh, that hit the team. If you're not aware, a stomach bug hit the team after the game against Mexico. And it affected estimates are about 30 people that uh, were either players or staff with the U.S. men's national team 
And one of the worst affected was Gio Reyna. Uh, we knew coming in that Gio Reyna has just recovered from an injury, and then he's get, got the stomach bug. I don't know if you've ever got if you guys have ever been through kind of food poisoning and what that's all about. Uh, but it, it's a pretty brutal, um, brutal experience, and, and it's tough to. I can't imagine running for 45 minutes after going through food poisoning. Uh, but I think that affected the lineup in a big way. And I think we saw early on Tyler Adams just wasn't quite up to it. I think Eunice Musa, I felt like even after the Mexico game, Eunice Musa was kind of just not as sharp as usual and, and, and kind of was kind of slowing down. Um, and I thought he kind of he kind of lacked some incisive passing in this game as well. And, and of course, that meant Kellen Acosta was in the midfield and he's just in a game where the U.S. has a lot of possession and they need somebody to uh, slip in some nice passes, that's not really Kellen Acosta's game. Robert Haynes says, the big question is no longer if we qualify, but who's getting on that plane for Qatar? And that's exactly right. I think the next eight months is going to be all about who's going to be on that plane to Qatar. Uh, There's some really interesting uh, positional battles developing. I think we're still trying to figure out who's the backup left back. Uh, and, and kind of where Joe Scally is in this mix. I think Joe Scally is going to kind of jump in. Uh, does that mean that he's going to be ahead of George Bellow? We've seen recently in the lineups that uh, in the rosters that uh, Greg Berhalter has bringing, been bringing three right backs in Des, Cannon, and Yedlin, and only one left back. Uh, so that's kind of where he sees Bellow. Uh, but does Scally, is Scally able to come in and kind of win a position, and, and does that kind of shake things up? And then at midfield, uh, I was really high on Jean-Luc Abusio at the beginning of World Cup qualifying, but in the minutes that we've seen him play, uh, I had not been very impressed. I don't think that he functions very well in this midfield, this midfield that uh, requires a, a lot of movement and a lot of defensive pressure. And I don't think he's really built for that. That's not really his game. Uh, so I think that that is a, is a position that's potentially out there for somebody to win. And then the striker position, um, I, you guys know I've been pretty high on Jesus Ferreira, uh, but you know, Ricardo Pepe was was okay tonight. We'll kind of get into that when we talk about the game. Uh, but, you know, I think the striker position is still up for grabs. Mike Iris says, frustrating that we couldn't score. The team played with effort. The team, it's, I, okay. Uh, the team played with effort, it's. There you go, Mike Irish. Thank you, sir. Um, yeah, I... I, I let's, let's sort of jump in, okay? Because I, I think to, to start the game, the U.S. was really... Uh, dictating play. They were holding on to the ball pretty well, and, and they were really kind of going at uh, Costa Rica. Costa Rica was on their back heels for most of the first half. I think the issue in the first half was that we had a midfield of uh, Acosta, Musa, and uh, Tyler Adams, and none of the three are really guys that are all that great at um, at precision and incisive passing. Uh, of that Of that group, like we know Yunus Musa is really good at uh, beating a guy off the dribble and making a penetrating run. Uh, but as far as his end product, as far as playing balls in behind and, and, and really nice passes in the, in the tight windows, that's not really his game. Uh, and, and I think we saw that throughout the first half where his his he could make a nice run, but after that, what to do with it, didn't really know. Uh, Kellen Acosta is not going to be a, a, an incisive passer, and, and neither is Tyler Adams. So what we saw a lot in that that first half was the U.S. possessing the ball getting it and then kind of kicking it around with their midfielders and never really threatening uh, the, the Costa Rica back line, which was really frustrating. Uh, but at the same time, we knew that that game plan was going to serve us well. Uh, going into the second half, Costa Rica gets some set-piece goals, and I think it was really against the run of play. I don't think Costa Rica really threatened uh, with, with shooting opportunities at, at all throughout the game, uh, it, except on these set-pieces. Let's. Uh, the first one was that set-piece where uh the costa rican attacker went up over uh walker zimmerman a guy who's just been unconscious in the air throughout world cup qualifying and is able to put it away that was one pablo vargas so kind of a goal against the run of play kind of frustrating uh but but that was that uh and then the second goal is um is a costa rican set piece that is met in the air by zach Steffen, but he doesn't punch it away and he doesn't catch it he's kind of caught in two minds there and he just spills it uh, right in the box, and the rebound is hit to the back post. It founds Contreras, who slots it away for Costa Rica, uh, two nothing. And uh, Felix Santos donates two dollars in order to say Zach Steffen was bad on both goals. And 
You know, it's it's tough to disagree with that. I'm not really a goalkeeper, so I can't really speak on a lot. But I feel like, especially on that second goal, man, he could have uh, he could have done a little bit better with that. He could have been a, a little bit more uh, commanding of his box, and I think that that's something that we see of Stefan a lot. Uh, it seems like every game he has one of these moments where he kind of spills it or he's indecisive in the box. There was another one on that um, uh, earlier in the game. I think that uh, Stefan was a little kind of unsure of himself. Uh, and, and that one didn't lead to a goal, but the second one did. As far as the first one, the first one, I don't know if you put a lot of blame on Zach Steffen there. That was kind of a point-blank header. Uh, if he would have made that save, it would have been an unbelievable save. Um, I, I don't know if we can really blame him much for that. I, you know, there, Walker Zimmerman's got to do better. But at the end of the day, uh, if you give up corner kicks, uh, people, you know, small teams beat big teams on corner kicks every day of the week. And that's just that's just part of the game of soccer. I think the big thing that happened in the second half was we saw a change in midfield. Tyler Adams came out. Uh, Kellen Acosta moved back to the six, and uh, Luca De La Torre came in. And with Luca De La Torre in the game, we finally had a midfielder who was able to push the game forward for the U.S. I think we saw throughout the second half, uh, the U.S. was really looking for Luca De La Torre uh, to be the, the, stir, the, the straw that stirs the drink. Uh, but ultimately... I think at that point, especially once once the U.S. went down two to nothing, it was so damn weird because Costa Rica was very content winning the game two nothing. It seemed like they were looking for a real moral victory here in order to take into their uh, their last game in order to take into that playoff, and the U.S. was fine uh, losing two nothing so long as they didn't give up six goals. So what it ended up being was like Costa Rica was sitting in deep. And the U.S. was not pushing numbers forward. So it was just like this stalemate at midfield where all we were really doing was looking for like Anthony Robinson to get in deep on that left flank and, and put in a hopeful cross. But even then, we didn't have the numbers in the box to really threaten there. So it was just kind of a, uh, just kind of a, a stalemate. It, it was just nothing doing on either side. So it ended up being like a really weird game. And I think the, um, I think, the 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 best evidence of that was uh was seeing that last like two or three minutes where the U.S. was just really content to run out the clock and Costa Rica was content to let them. So like neither side had any interest in like really mixing it up on that last few minutes. Uh, and and there it was. So Felix Santos says Reina was off tonight. I don't know what people were watching. I don't know about that, man. Uh, I mean Gio Reina has some really nice moments in that game. Uh, he, I mean, there was one moment where he took on the Costa Rican defense and just ran right at him, beat a few players and had a shot that, that went well over the bar, but still his ability to run through players and his ability to run through players with strength and still stay up. Like we see Christian Pulisic run through players, but he is easily fouled. Luca De La Torre is a lot more difficult player to, to foul. So he's able to, to, to keep that ball. And it's, it's just really impressive watching him run. Uh, Robert Haynes says, I think Adams picked up an injury early on. I wanted Berhalter to pull him in the first half just to be safe. Yeah, it, it definitely looked like that. Um, and, and the commentators made a note of that. Um, and and I, it's just, you know, the third game of World Cup qualifying in a really difficult and emotional window. Um, yeah, it, it, I, I think the wear and tear was was evident on uh, Tyler Adams and a few other players. McLovin, who I think is a new commenter. Uh, I've never seen McLovin comment before. Uh, he says, I thought the system with the eights outside of the center backs was really ineffective. Even when you're playing for a loss, you should still make adjustments if tactics are clearly not working. I mean, that's – whenever you say the tactics are not working, you're assuming that the goal was to win the game or, like, attack offensively, whereas I think the goal was actually to not give up a bunch of goals. So – I think that it was effective in, in that way. I mean, if you look at the action, at the game, if you don't look at the score, story, the, the, um, the, the gosh, I can't think of the word. If you don't look at the score line and you look at the actual game, Costa Rica didn't get really many chances against this. They didn't have, the, I mean, their XG in this game outside of those set pieces was probably not very high. Uh, Costa Rica was not threatening the U.S. goal at any point tonight. Uh, and I think that was sort of the game plan going in is just limit Costa Rica's ability to score goals because ultimately that's the only thing that's going to hurt us. Uh, as far as moving forward, yeah, I thought 
I thought the front line, the front three was kind of stagnant. Uh, and, and I think a lot of that was was our midfield just not being able to support them. Uh, Eunice Musa and Kellen Acosta are never going to be attacking eights that are going to be able to support the attack like that. Um, and, and I think we saw that over and over again. Christian Pulisic was dropping in a lot. He was getting kicked a lot. It wasn't like in that last game where he was able to get in behind. A lot of that has to do with Costa Rica not pushing forward. So once again, you had this weird thing where Costa Rica wasn't trying to attack us and we weren't trying to attack them, and it just led to a stalemate. So it was just a really weird game tactically. Let's see. Let's get into some uh, some some other comments here. There's a, You boys are going off in the comments section. <clears throat> Dear CBS, the United States qualifying for a World Cup is not an accomplishment. S27, I don't know if I agree with that. I think anytime you qualify for a World Cup, it's an accomplishment. I, I don't think that we should just be um, – we should just be pretending like we deserve to be here. I think there's a lot of nations that fail to qualify for a World Cup that you would consider soccer nations. I understand this is a weak region, but at the same time, uh, we didn't qualify for the World Cup four years ago. It was an incredibly difficult moment in, in a lot of our lives, and I think it's okay to celebrate this moment. I, I don't think that that's a, that's a bad thing. Uh, I think most nations that qualify for the World Cup celebrate it, even if they expect to get there every year. I, I don't think it's... Uh, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world being excited that we qualified for the World Cup. Andrew Kestrita says, we are a young squad and will only be better. Disappointing performance, but we will get stronger. And I think I think uh I think that's accurate, man. I, I think this eight months is gonna be um is gonna be an eight months where a lot of new players are tried out. The squad is gonna expand, it's gonna be an opportunity to really solidify things as we move forward. And I think that that's a, uh, I think that's a big part of this, man. I think the U S has really grown as a team throughout world cup qualifying. I'm going to do a video on that specifically. Uh, but I think, you know, you look at this U S men's national team squad in nations league, the team that played Honduras and the team that played Mexico. And, and those were teams with a lot of these same players that had a naivete about them and had a, um they 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 just did not it, it felt like the the moment was pretty big man and they were not used to the intensity of these games and they were not used to kind of the concacafery and then you flash forward to right now to this team that that just went through this window and i i feel like it's night and day i i feel like um th- this team is used to playing with each other they're playing for each other they kind of know where everybody's going to be uh and, and they're a lot more up for kind of the games of CONCACAF. And I think that they're a lot more experienced and ready for this World Cup. I think we we came into World Cup qualifying with a group of uh, novices and we're leaving with, with a group of experienced campaigners. And I think that experience is going to be fantastic as we kind of work in new players into the group. If it's a Joe Scally, if it's a, boy, I'd love for Pax and Pomacall to be in this group. I think you bring in Pax and Pomacall and, and I think he can do a lot of the things that Luca Del Torre did for us. Maybe not as cleanly on the ball, but I think he offers a little bit more defensively and still a, a, a solid game uh, offensively. And and I would love to see him, but but somebody else has got to come in that eight position because I don't think we're getting what we need from Busio right now. But I'm really excited, man. I'm really excited about the growth that this squad has had throughout World Cup qualifying, and, and I'm excited about the growth it can have in the next eight months uh, and the, the performance it can have at the World Cup. I don't know if... Um, I. I I still feel like this 2022 World Cup is just going to be the precursor to the 2026 World Cup. Uh, I I think this World Cup is going to be one where we're going to get a lot of experience and heading into that next one is going to be a big deal. I I look back at the the U.S. men's national team from 1994. Uh, The U.S. first qualified for the World Cup for the first time in like a number of years. It was like 40 years in 1990. And in 1990, they had a bunch of young players in there, players fresh out of college. Uh, and they didn't do very well in 1990, but they gained a ton of experience. And, and a lot of that led to the super successful 1994 World Cup, where so many, uh, where the U.S. just overperformed expectations tremendously uh, and was able to get into that next round, even though they had a bunch of players who never played professionally. They had a bunch of college dudes that no, nobody's ever seen before. Uh, but uh, I, I'm kind of seeing as that that being the same story for 2022. But uh, I hope this experience will allow us to perform well uh, in 2022. Robert Haynes says, we did not look good tonight, but three game windows took its toll on Robinson, Adams, and Pulisic. 
McKinney Dust, Aronson Richards will be back. Yeah, I, I think that that's a big thing, man. I, I think depth really hurt in this window. And I think three-game windows were just not our friends throughout World Cup qualifying. Uh, I say that in, in our one two-game window, we beat Mexico and had a really tough game against Jamaica that we probably should have lost, but we were able to keep that point. But yeah, I think the three-game windows throughout World Cup qualifying were really difficult for us. I think the drop-off from some of our top guys to some of our um, our, our rotated guys was 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 pretty tough and pretty adamant. Uh, I think uh, the U.S. really struggled playing away from home throughout World Cup qualifying, um, and <clears throat> the three-game windows weren't exactly a good thing for us. They really took their toll. Uh, and, and I think a lot of the three-game window, the three-game window added this degree of variance where it was like, who do you play and when do you play them? Like, what's the circumstance in which you play them? Uh, I think I, I saw an interview with Greg Berhalter where he talked about how the U.S.'s first game away in El Salvador was so damn difficult because the El Salvadorians were so up for their first home game. And then our game away at uh, Honduras, it was their first home game. So there was like an extra intensity in the stadium uh, for those games. The U.S. ended up tying the El Salvador game and winning the Honduran game. Uh, but he he made mention of how difficult, how extra difficult those games were because of the timing. And I think timing had a lot to do with how things played out. Um, but, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, we were able to get through it. Joe J. Cool says no plan B tonight, Sam. Left wing crosses weren't working, but we get just kept trying it. Yeah, it was kind of the only thing that they were allowing us to do. I think in the second half, especially a lot of those left wing crosses were on uh, because. Luca De La Torre was just the player who was pressing forward and uh, he was on the left and therefore the attack ran through the left. Um, had Luca De La Torre been on the right, I think Gio Reyna would have been more involved. I think that was kind of simply uh, where things were for us. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think it was pretty evident that Costa Rica was was happy to sit back and take their 2 nothing win and the U.S. were happy to kind of sit back and not push forward. It was a really weird game in that regard. Neither team was really pushing at the end of the game. Um, and I think that that led to a lot of frustration from the fans. Uh, but ultimately, we we qualified for the World Cup. It was kind of mission accomplished for both sides. Oki5434 said, divide in fan base is clear with this result. Many are complacent with the results getting us qualified. Others are furious that the standard allows us to think losing is okay in our region. I mean. You got you to gotta think about the priorities here. I mean, what are the priorities? Are the priorities to uh, win every game? Are the priorities to qualify and move forward? Um, and, and sometimes those, those priorities aren't uh, aligned. Um, I, I think this game was, I mean, they definitely came out with a strong attacking approach. But after Costa Rica went up two goals and, and they got some goals against the run of play, they sat back real deep, and the U.S. was pretty content to just run things out, man. I, I think one thing we saw at halftime was Christian Pulisic was just getting hacked to pieces, man. And uh, and that wasn't something I wanted to see more of. Like, I'm not – I didn't want to uh, just absolutely go for it at the risk of Christian Pulisic walking away in crutches. You know, I was pretty happy whenever he came off in, in like, the 60th minute. So, uh I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm happy with the result, man. I, I don't know what to tell you. Let's see. Let's see. Who who else? Big Harry Jake says, man, I'm in the anti-MLS camp entirely, but can't we just once once in four years be happy we qualified for the World Cup? I don't think my rage is going to fix anything tonight. I mean, Big Harry Jake, to be fair, I mean, we are fans, and fans are incredibly emotional people, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being really emotional and excited and into your team and wanting to win every game. I think even the fans who are upset that we we didn't win are going to wake up tomorrow morning and, and a little smile is going to creep across their face because the U.S. qualified for the World Cup. And that wasn't something that we were entirely sure about like a week ago. Uh, so I, I think uh, it, it's okay to be emotional. It's okay to be excited. It's okay to be frustrated. I know these same people who are emotional and frustrated and mad at the world right now um, 
are, are going to uh, be waving U.S. flags and wearing U.S. jerseys the next time we play. And, and whenever the U.S. Uh, does end up in Qatar for the World Cup, they're going to be just as excited as anybody else. So uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I would love for a world where everybody's happy, but then again, that's not a very interesting or exciting world either i think that the friction and the uh and, and the differing of opinions is is great for discourse and is great to uh to to make this community interesting and 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 to keep it um to keep the content flowing man so that's i, I think it's a good thing let's see sam taylor says need to find a replacement for jedi if the game plan is to literally give him the ball on the wing on almost every possession he's not as skilled like Des and a legit nine i mean once again i i think I think game state dictated a lot of that. I think Jedi was the was the option that was open, and I think a lot of that was because of where Luca Della Torre lined up. Uh, I think if Luca Della Torre was switched, it would have gone down the right side. Um, I, I think Musa was kind of sitting back, and, and Della Torre was the was the midfielder who was opting to get up the field. But uh, I, I you, you wonder. The thing is, like I, I know a lot of us are frustrated about this game and kind of how it played out, but. I wonder if the U.S. needed a result in this game, if the U.S. needed a tie or a win, if things would have played out much differently. Uh, I think the subs would have been much different, and I think the intensity in the second half would have been much different. And I think that that's like that's, that's a very important thing to think about um, in the context of this game. I mean, at the same time, if Costa Rica wanted to actually qualify in this game and win by six points, then their intensity would have been different. You know, one thing that we've talked about a ton um, on this channel is that the U.S. is just so damn good in transition. It's it's probably our best asset as a soccer team. And whenever teams sit back against us, it really steals that opportunity to transition away from us. And you would have thought coming into this game that Costa Rica would have been pushed forward, would have been pressing high and, and would have been really going for it in this game uh, because they needed to win by so many points. But that's not what we saw. That's not what we saw at all. Costa Rica really sat back, especially in that second half, especially whenever they went up two goals. They were not coming at us, and uh, that led to us not being able to utilize that transition game. That led to us trying to break down that low block, and I think you kind of know how that goes. Uh, so that's sort of my read on things, and, and ultimately I'm just excited that we, uh, that we qualified and we're moving on to the World Cup. Let's see. Michael Sponsler says, I'm hoping the team gels and develops better chemistry and consistency between now and World Cup. And yeah, I, I think that that's where all, what we're all hoping. I think the team did gel a lot. And, and I think you look at the um, the results at home and you look at how the team played at home. Um, it's just the, the, the team has been tremendous at home throughout World Cup qualifying. It's just been those um, those results away on the road that's been frustrating. Now, the U.S. were able to go into uh, Mexico City in the Azteca and get a result there. And I thought in the first half tonight, they played really well. They, I, I felt like they, um, they were the team that was in control of that game in the first half. They get a couple of goals against them on set pieces. And then both teams kind of just <laughs> decide not to play soccer anymore, uh, which was, you know, frustrating. But, you know, there you go. Let's see. Who we got? Robert Haynes says, I don't want to call our fan base toxic, but there's so much animosity even in this chat. Ha, ha, ha. I just want to celebrate that we are qualified. Yeah, I mean, animosity and frustration is just kind of part of being a fan. That's just that's just part of it. I, I think uh, toxicity for me is whenever you're like actively trying to hurt people. And there are people out there in this fan base that do that. There are people that just kind of want to make people feel bad. And that's that's not cool. That's something I, I get upset about. And, and, um, and, and I think it's that type of thing. We, we really need to, um, we really need to get out of this fan base, but as far as just being upset about the coach or upset about the team or upset about the results, uh, that's fine. You know, express your grievances because I know at, at the end of the day, these, these people are fans and they're passionate and they're, they're, they're watching their game, the game with their heart on their sleeves and they want uh, the team to win just as bad as everybody else. That doesn't, that doesn't make their takes rational. That doesn't mean that their takes should be uh, should be put higher than anybody else's. Uh, and and I still I'm always going to approach the the team with like a, a degree of rationality and kind of thinking about the big picture and how everything fits together. Uh, I know not everybody thinks like that. Uh, I I know that that I. I know that my rationality has been kind of a negative thing in my life at times. And I know that people get frustrated with me because of it, but that's just how I've always approached things. 
and, and that's how I'll think. So I'll always kind of clash with those with with the more emotional side. But there, you you can be emotional. That's uh that's fine. William Bird, who I met at the stadium in uh, Orlando. So what's up, William? Says such a deflating game despite winning qualifying. The AOATL was on CBSSN live stream. And we didn't get a chance to celebrate a goal on TV. Oh, that sucks, man. Oof. That's that sucks. Yeah, I, I can see that being rough. That's cool that you were out there, man. It's cool that AO Atlanta was doing that. Um, I, I didn't even know that you guys were doing that. I, I feel like they didn't mention that on the TV broadcast. But yeah, we didn't get an opportunity to goal. I really thought the Geo was going to get a Golazo in this game. I thought the Geo would be so frustrated that Christian was getting so much attention that he would go out there and... uh and and try to make something awesome but um it didn't it ended up not happening jacob poland says who's one player that you do not want to see on the world cup roster and one that you do um i guess you mean one player that's like a part of the group right now uh i'll say this right in this moment in this moment right now and i'll say this because it's a guy that i've been high on throughout world cup qualifying but i think right now is just not a fit for the team i mentioned this earlier in the stream but i'll say it again uh, i think jean Gabusio as our fourth eight has just not been up for it i don't think that his game style fits what we're trying to do uh with the national team right now i think that there's other players out there who fit that better uh so i would not want to see Busio in the mix as as our fourth eight um and and i would like to see somebody else get an opportunity there uh, one player that I would like to see on the roster, uh, Gio Reyna. Uh, no, I, I guess you mean somebody who's not currently on the roster uh, that should be making it. Uh, I think the easy answer is Joe Scally. Uh, I, I think that he could offer a lot in our fullback position, and I, I know that we need cover at left back and right back. He, he can offer that. I think that we're overrating Scally as a left back a little bit. I think that his performances on the right side have been way more consistent and you get a lot more out of him on the right. Um, I, I think that he can play left back, and he's not. He's just he's better as a as a left as a right back than a left back. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with George Bello for the rest of the season if he's ever able to rise up to it. I don't think that uh, that that Greg Berhalter rates Bello very highly, so uh, I think it's still up in the air for that. Uh, but uh, I guess to answer your question, it would be Busio and Scally. Let's see. SB says, well, 499 donation. Worried about poor quality set to, set pieces. Got to do better. I mean, set pieces is one of those things that uh, it's there's a lot of variance whenever it comes to set pieces. Uh, I think the U.S. defensively has been very good on set pieces throughout World Cup qualifying. Uh, we weren't able to do it tonight, and it's it sucks that um, – that all of our good set piece juju kind of went out the window in one game. Uh, but I don't think that that's, that's something that we should really be freaking out about all that much. I think over the long haul, the set piece defense has been really good. Uh, I think Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson had won just about every ball in the air throughout World Cup qualifying. So I'm not all that concerned that Walker Zimmerman missed one. Uh, I, I am a little concerned about Zach Steffen because it feels like every game he kind of spills one and uh, there's an opportunity for uh, an attack there. So that is a concern of mine moving forward. Uh, I wonder if Matt Turner is going to be able to hop back into the keeper situation. Uh, we'll we'll kind of see that as it goes forward. There is going to be an issue whenever Matt Turner eventually makes his move to Arsenal where both of our keepers are going to be keepers that are on the bench in the Premier League. Uh, so that'll be an interesting thing to, to worry about. Uh, but as far as set pieces, uh, I think that I, I'm, I'm excited about a couple of things. I mean, first of all, the return of Gio Reyna. Uh, Gio Reyna is an excellent set piece taker as far as putting balls into the box for other people to head. Uh, so I think that, that brings a lot to the table. Uh, Christian's set piece delivery has gotten a little bit better throughout World Cup qualifying, even though it's not something I'm super excited about. Uh, but I think that we're going to get our set pieces here and there. I don't know if we're as good at them as we once were, maybe whenever we had like a Guccion Yewu on the squad. But I think set pieces are going to get better whenever Gio Reyna is in the, in the squad regularly and Weston McKinney's back in the squad. So it's not something I'm super concerned about. Let's see. Jason Davis said, Javon Davis, sorry. Javon Davis says, to be honest with the way USA play, they have to change it or they will not come out of group stage. Because we finished third, that means you guys will get a very hard team to play. Uh, I don't know about all that, Javon. Um, 
the uh, World Cup qualifying is is based on your ELO score, which although World Cup qualifying is a part of that, is not nece- it's not necessarily based on you, how you finish uh, in World Cup qualifying. Uh, so I think we'll still be a pot two team. I believe I believe we're still a pot two team. And excuse me, I need a little sip of water there. I. I've been saying this for a while. I don't think that World Cup qualifying is going to have so much of an impact on how we play in the World Cup. I think that's something that we've seen in just about every World Cup cycle that the U.S. plays. CONCACAF soccer is something is is over here, and like World Cup soccer is over here. It's just it's very different styles of play, and, and I don't think that we're going to see a lot of what we saw throughout World Cup qualifying. Um, so I, I'm excited about our our possibilities moving forward into the World Cup. And even if we are a pot three team, uh, I, I'm I think that we're a team that's just getting better and better. And and I, I think that we can uh, we can scare a lot of teams uh, in the World Cup moving forward. And, and Robert Haynes says we are a pot two team. So uh, yeah, I'll take his word for it. Robert knows what he's talking about. Adam Stam says background's awesome. With our difference in performance home and away, I'm curious to see how we handle a more neutral ground in Qatar. And yeah, I, I think that we're going to shine at a more neutral ground in Qatar. Uh, I, I think that uh, whenever teams uh, come out at us, whenever they uh, whenever they press us, whenever they uh, expose their back lines, it, it, our transition game is tremendous. Our ability to counterpress is tremendous. I think in this game tonight, especially in the second half, Costa Rica didn't come out against us. Costa Rica wasn't pressing us. Uh, Costa Rica wasn't really trying to play the ball out of the back or anything like that. They really sat back, and we know that that's kind of uh, that's kind of where we struggle. Uh, and and I, I don't see a lot of that occurring at the World Cup. In fact, I see some moments. You know, one thing that we really haven't seen throughout World Cup qualifying uh, is is the U.S. playing a team that is much better technically um, and just much better talent wise across the board. And we're going to run into that in the World Cup. We're going to run into a top ten team uh, that is able to. To, to just handle us and is able to dominate possession. And I think that is where this team is really going to shine, where, where we have the ability to hit teams on the counter uh, and, and we might be able to knock off a big top 10 team in that way. Uh, I don't think that the, the way that we performed in CONCACAF or, or the game style of CONCACAF, especially CONCACAF away games, is going to inform too much on how we play in the World Cup. I don't think that that's, a, uh, that's something that we, we should really be worrying about. <clears throat> Let's see. We'll get a few more questions in. We're, we're 36 minutes deep. We got 163 people. Guys, thank you for coming into the live stream. Make sure you get your questions in the comment section and uh, make sure you hit the like button if you're, if you're enjoying the content, if you're excited that the U.S. qualified for the World Cup, if you're terrified with the way that U.S. played tonight, whatever your emotions are, hit the like button. Take those emotions out on the like button. Uh, thank you for coming to the channel. If this is your first time, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, all that good stuff. Let's see. We're all. I love how the 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 comment section has switched from talking about the game to just talking about Qatar. Like I feel like it it changed that quickly. Uh, we went from being upset about how the game played out to wondering how we're gonna how how the draw is gonna happen and how we're how how we're gonna uh how we're gonna play in Qatar. And that's just that's just a a great thing. It kind of shows how quickly the fan base moves from one thing to another. Church seventy two says counterplaying isn't GGG way of playing. Well, counterplaying often isn't really a choice, you know? Like, if you're playing against Brazil, you don't have a lot of choice as how you're going to play. You're going to have to play on the counter because Brazil's only going to Brazil's gonna dominate the ball, right? So uh, I, I think there are some teams who have quality, uh, who have the ability to hold the ball, but still choose to play sitting back and on the counter. I think about a team like Canada like that. Canada have the ability to play straight up, but that's not really what they choose to do. Uh, as opposed to a team like Brazil or England or uh, let's see who else, you know, maybe Spain, teams that are going to want to hold on to the ball, possess the ball. Um, so it, it's it's whether GGG wants us to play counterattacking soccer or not, there's going to be teams that force us into that. And I think whenever that happens, we, we've been solid defensively. We're great at keeping a shape, our shape and uh, – and we're going to be able to hit teams on the counter that way. Uh, and, and I'm excited to see it. Uh, Rohit Kalavakalava says, I feel like having Des would have helped. Everything was going through Anthony's side and he was gassed. I think having Des on the field helps not just 
because of that. But I, I think when Des is on the field, our ability to possess the ball out of the bat goes up exponentially. Des is one of those players that is able to unlock a press, and he's one of those players in possession that can just solve problems with his with his, his passing and his ability on the ball. Um, he's so damn good uh, in possession. He is so damn good in the middle third of the field. And whenever the U.S. is in, in a tight spot, whenever they, they have a problem that they can't quite solve, um, you can hit it out to Dest and he can fix that for you. I think we saw it without Dest. The U.S. really struggled to possess the ball out of the back. Uh, whenever Tyler Adams was in the game and, you know, it was uh, Anthony Robinson and Tyler Adams and Eunice Musa and um, uh, Kellen Acosta, that's not a recipe for success in moving the ball up the field. I mean, you're hoping that Eunice Musa is going to get on the ball and beat somebody and run up the field. With Serginho Dest on the field, that changes everything completely, and we're a lot more comfortable and confident building out of the back. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you that Dest would have helped going forward, but I think he would have helped across the board on the back line as well. Let's see. Robert Haynes says, Sam, do you have any inside information sources on if it will be still be a 23-man roster or an expanded one for Qatar? I hope they keep five subs. That is like a that is a million dollar question, Robert. That's something I think everybody's wondering. Uh, I don't know, and, and I don't think anybody knows at this point. I, I think it's one of those things where uh, I think people have gotten used to the expanded rosters, and I think people like the expanded rosters. So I don't know exactly how it'll go down. Uh, we'll see what I, I'm sure. Like COVID rates heading into it is going to affect things. Uh, we saw in this window uh, that. The U.S. was affected by COVID. Reggie Cannon went down with COVID, and, and that had a big impact on how uh, this roster played out. It forced Shaq Moore to come into the mix and just kind of change things up a lot. So uh, I don't know. It's going to depend on, I'm sure, the COVID rates, uh, but we'll see. McLovin says, what would you think about Arena Pulisic with Weya up top? Uh I mean, it seems exciting. I, I don't know. I, I We haven't seen Tim Weah play forward in a long time. He hasn't played forward for uh for Lille in in a while, and I don't know. I, I think the thing about Tim Weah is his, his finishing has never been good for me. Um, I, I think that uh, even though, you know, none of our strikers are finishing all that well right now, I, I, I don't think Tim Weah is a particularly great finisher, and at the same time, he's been one of our best wide attackers throughout World Cup qualifying. And it feels rough for me to take that away in order to kind of force this. Um, I, I think the 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 best case scenario is that you know Ricardo Pepe or or even um, or even Jesus Ferreira kind of fills in that gap, slots in, and, and gets better uh, to the point where we're not asking to put Tim Weah in that position. I, I think Tim Weah, where he is, is the best case scenario for the U.S. And and remember, World Cup qualifying is going to be just like a three game window. Um, I'm not World Cup qualifying. The World Cup is going to be like a three-game window. Like you're not going to be able to go in with a best eleven and win the World Cup. Like you need a deep squad. You need to uh, be able to rotate guys in and out. So having multiple players uh, that you can believe in and rely upon on that wing position that can contribute to the squad uh, is, is very important. And and just trying to fit in everybody into our best eleven is not necessarily the most effective way to go about it. Let's see. I just hope that Church72 says, I hope that Brooks is back on the team in guitar. You need to bring your best and most experienced defender. We'll see, man. We'll see. I, I, Church, uh, Greg Berhalter did say that there was a opportunity for Brooks to come back into the squad. Uh, we'll kind of see how that goes out. It goes on. You know, there. Uh, Greg has said a lot about um, there being issues with John on the field that need to be fixed, and he didn't think he could fix it over World Cup qualifying, but he wants him to be a uh, that there might be an opportunity in Nations League. Uh, I have a feeling that Greg's going to keep his word there and we're going to see John again. Uh, but as far as him being the best center back on the team or, or most experienced defender, I mean, he's the most experienced defender, but I don't know if he's the best at this point, um, especially for the way that this team plays. Uh, the team relies on athleticism at the center back position so much. I mean, there's been so many moments where uh, either Miles Robinson or um, or Walker Zimmerman were forced to retreat and make athletic plays, and that's not something John Brooks can do. That's not not something that he's great at. Uh, so we'll we'll kind of see if he can do that moving forward. I, I think I I know nobody wants to hear this, but I think Aaron Long is a better center back than people give him credit for, and he fits really well into that idea of uh, of what Greg Berhalter wants to do. 
And then, you know, we saw EPB get an opportunity in this window. Uh, I have a feeling that uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers is going to get an opportunity as well. So it's not exactly a uh, open and shut case that John Brooks is going to be uh, at the World Cup for the U.S. Men's National Team. And on top of that, you know, if you buy into the uh, the rumors that he could potentially be a locker room problem or that there's some type of emotional, that there's some type of um, issue between Greg Berhalter and John Brooks, I mean, it should be noted that this this team is, um, the chemistry on the squad seems to be really good right now. It seems like they have a really good locker room and it seems like everybody sort of believes in each other and is, and is really fighting hard for each other. So the idea that you would bring in someone uh, who potentially could interrupt that. Um, I, I, I don't know if that's something that you would necessarily want to do. Uh, we'll see, though. We'll see moving forward. Um, Will says, Sergeant coming back. Uh, that's, that's a big question as well, man. I think Sergeant is another one of those guys in that boat where, you know, he's not playing the position that the U.S. Men's National Team need him to play right now. He's playing as a winger, um, and, and the U.S. need him as a striker. And if you look at the way he, that he plays wing for um, for Norwich, it's not like the type of winger that the U.S. Men's National Team employs. It's very much the type of winger that you find at the bottom of the Premier League whose job is to just make things difficult as hell for 90 minutes and hopefully, you know, get something in the box uh, late in the game and, and kind of s- steal a point. He's not taking on players one-on-one. He's not putting crosses into the box. Uh, he's kind of a defender slash striker at the wing position. So uh, we'll see. I mean, he did get those two goals, but I think he needs to be scoring consistently and be very confident. Uh, I, I think we saw a couple times in this window. Um, for me, uh, you know, you guys know I'm, I'm high on Jesus Ferreira, but I think what we saw consistently from Jesus Ferreira is that he's a striker that gets into really dangerous positions. Uh, he puts himself into, into positions to score goals on a consistent basis. I don't see that from Josh Sargent. I don't see Josh Sargent putting himself into threatening positions for Norwich. I didn't see him doing it whenever he was with the national team. So he ends up being a number nine that is not really fulfilling that duty of a number nine. And for a squad that kind of struggles to score goals uh, anyway, that's not exactly what you want on the field. So uh, I'd love for Sargent to turn that corner. I'd love for Sargent to be at the World Cup. I'd love for him to be, shoot, I'd love to him to get to the point where he's a starting striker for the U.S. Men's National Team. But it, it's not exactly cut and dry at this point. And there's other players that are performing really well. So let's see. Adolfo Ramos says, Sam was right about De La Torre, great player. I don't, was Sam right? I thought Sam was kind of wrong about De La Torre. I thought Sam said, uh, Sam said we kind of need to see what he does moving forward because where we played against Honduras, it was weaker competition. And we don't know if he's going to be able to uh, be physically up for it in, in CONCACAF. And Luca De La Torre showed that he's absolutely physically up for it in CONCACAF, and he's an absolutely tremendous fit into this midfield. Uh, I don't know if Sam was right about that, but I appreciate your uh, positivity there. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, Fabio Tron says, Zardes to the World Cup. Let's go. I think Zardes has kind of fallen pretty far in the depth chart. Uh, Zardes isn't playing much for his MLS squad. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if he's going to be in the mix. Uh, I, I and, and I, I don't know about PFOC either, man. I mean, you guys tell me. I just in that that cameo against Mexico. I mean, his. You know, people are going to talk about the big miss, and yeah, the big miss was bad. But you know, strikers miss shots. For me, it was everything else about PFOC. He's he's just his runs were not. I, I don't know if he did made any runs. Uh, his hold up play was non-existent. Um, just. His defensive pressing was pretty terrible. It just He just didn't seem to fit into what we were looking for uh, from the squad. So I don't know if PFOC is going to be in the mix much moving forward. Uh, but, yeah. Let's see. Gio Dua says, Greg Berhalter contract extension until 2026 incoming. Yeah, I if you're a Greg Berhalter hater, I have bad news. I have a feeling that this is a eight-year project, and I have a feeling that Greg's going to be a part of the national team through 2026. It, it looks like the writing is going to be on the wall for that. I'm, u- I'm, I'm usually not a fan of any national team manager staying on past four years. I think one cycle for one manager is, is, is good enough. I, I don't like it whenever they go past two, but I think because of the uniqueness of this particular situation where Greg came in with a really young squad 
and he's trying to change the way the world sees American soccer and he's trying to institute a system and institute all this stuff and the importance that the Federation is putting on 2026. I see it being an eight year project. Uh, I know that that's tough to hear for a lot of people, but I, I think that that's, I think that that's what is going to happen uh, for World Cup qualifying. Let's see. YDDYDubBud says, eight-year project, not if we finish dead last and lose every World Cup game badly. Uh, maybe not. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Uh, maybe if it's, it's, if it's real bad. But I, I think if the Federation sees this as an eight-year project and really wants to do well in, in uh, 2026, then they'll be okay with that. Uh, once again, uh, the... Look at the 1994 team for an example. Um, there's a lot of similarities, a lot of correlations between the 1994 team and this current team. A very young team, a team without a lot of experience, and the U.S. hosting the World Cup. Uh, we saw in 1990, the U.S. went to the World Cup and had a pretty poor showing, but the experience that that team gained in that World Cup is what led to them being so damn successful in 1994. Uh, so I think that there's a lot of similarities, and I have a feeling that that's sort of what we're going for. Uh, maybe I the 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 uh, the thing I think might happen is maybe the U.S. has such an amazing World Cup that some team decides to back up the truck for Greg Berhalter and pay him a bunch of money, and maybe he accepts like a high level club offer, uh, and, and that would be a way for Greg to lead the national team. I don't think that the Greg leads the national team for a poor performance at this point. It would have to be. It would have to be real bad to the point where uh, he loses the locker room. If the locker room says that they don't want to play for this guy anymore, then he'd be out. But I don't, I don't think that uh, a, a poor performance will necessarily get him out. Uh, so I, if I were you, if you, want, if you want Greg Berhalter gone as the national team coach, I think you should hope for Greg to have a remarkably amazing World Cup to the point where some team uh, wants to come through and offer him a bunch of money in order to, to take him away from the U.S. Uh, so. That's that's my thoughts on the situation. Shadow Grace 760 says, I actually like Greg this cycle. Our players just need to be better finishing. I mean, there's there's definitely some valid criticism for Greg throughout World Cup cycle, and you can look at the, the team's performance on the road as, as evidence for that. Uh, there's definitely narratives to be built on each side. If you want to make a narrative that Greg Berhalter has been a fantastic coach for the U.S. Men's National Team, you absolutely can. If you want to build the narrative that Greg Berhalter is not a good enough coach for this U.S. Men's National Team, you absolutely can. It's kind of just how you see things. Uh, so I, I understand both sides of the coin, but uh, I do think that um, the that he's going to be the head coach for a while for this national team. Arnold Maldonado donates four ninety nine. Says keep up the good work, Sam. Shout out Arnold. I hung out with Arnold a lot in Orlando. Uh, we ate at some Brazilian restaurants with Filippo. Uh, had a real good time uh, tailgating and all that stuff. Um, uh the the game in orlando was just a tremendous uh thing and, and it was so fun uh hanging out with everybody meeting a ton of people you can uke says glad we got that draw in mexico otherwise us would be playing against new zealand everybody check out you can uke's youtube channel the dude has like a hundred thousand subscribers or something uh amazing ukulele youtube channel uh by the way I had a ukulele I played a u- little bit of ukulele for a little while I, I'm I'm a guitar player so playing the ukulele would kind of came pretty easily but anyway um yeah I I don't know I, I think that's a little bit of revisionist history um I, I think that we don't know what would change if the U.S. would have needed a result in this game uh and what would change if Costa Rica needed a result in this game I think this game set up for a fairly uneventful game and that's that's absolutely what we got uh so I don't know turning back the clock and trying to say that you know this result is necessarily what would have happened if the U.S. would have needed a result. I, I don't think that's fair. Um, I, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Let's see. Urias Tosh says the goal of the U.S. Men's National Team should be f- to finish third in 2026. That should be the goal to get to the semis and third for the first time since Uruguay 1930. Get to the semis and then win the third place game. I mean, why not? Why not win the whole tournament, man? I mean, considering the way that um, the U.S. men's national team has been imp- improving, considering the way that the depth has been improving throughout, um, 
why not, man? Maybe in four years from now, I mean, Christian Pulisic is one of the best players in the world. Gio Reyna is one of the best players in the world. Weston McKinney is one of the best players in the world. Tyler Adams is one of the best players in the world. And then we've got, you know, four more Gio Reynas and Christian Pulisics at every position. We got a bunch of amazing 20-year-olds. We got a bunch of amazing 28-year-olds. I mean, the, in 2026, the U.S. can really go for it. If, if we continue to produce prospects the way that we've producing them, we've been producing them, and like our current crop of prospects continues to move forward and produce, the sky's the limit for the U.S. in 2026. I mean, think about guys like um, uh, Jonathan Gomez, Caden uh, Clark, uh, Paxton Aronson, Brennan Aronson, uh, Tim Weah. These are all Paxton Pomacal. These are all guys that are young enough that they have a high enough ceiling that they can keep they can keep getting better throughout th- this next um, throughout this next six years uh, or four years heading towards 2026. Uh, the U.S. can can perform really well, man. We can absolutely be on par with some of the top clubs or uh, top nations in the world if we keep progressing at the same rate that we're going right now. Let's see. I'm, I'm going to answer a couple more, then I'm going to get out of here, guys, because we're coming up on the one-hour mark. Uh, Fabio Tran says, things are definitely not perfect, but this team is far more exciting than the last cycle of players. Uh, Fabio, I I don't know how any fan can watch this team and not be super excited, man. I, 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 I'm I very high on this team right now. I think that they look really good, man. I, I, I think that we have a lot of opportunity moving forward. I'm really excited to see what happens. I, I'm excited to see this summer whenever – I think the U.S. is going to have some friendlies. I mean, there was kind of a rumor that Argentina was looking to schedule some friendlies with the U.S. and Mexico this summer. Uh, I'd be, I'd love to see how the U.S. stacks up against Argentina right now. Uh, but I'd, I'd especially love to see how the U.S. stacks up against uh, kind of that 10 through 20 group of teams. Like, how does this U.S. stack up against, like, Switzerland or Denmark or Portugal or... Uh, let's see who are the uh, South American teams that actually qualified. Cause I know Colombia didn't make it. I, I forget who actually qualified, but yeah, I think that that's the opportunity, man. Um, I, I think the U S stacks well uh, against those teams. And, and that's the, those are the teams that you need to beat in order to get to that uh, Quinto Partido, which I think is uh, the goal for the U S in this particular world cup. Uh, Robert says, good night. Thanks for all that you do. Thank you, Robert. Thank all of you. I'm going to answer a couple more, and, and I think that this is a good time to uh, to wrap it up. Yukon Yuke says, why should we settle? That's always been U.S. soccer mindset until now. As the saying goes, aim for the moon. If you miss, you may hit a star. I don't know if the U.S. soccer mindset has always been settle. I think the U.S., the American mindset has always been like, so you're saying there's a chance. We always believe we can win. Like, it's funny whenever I talk to fans of other nations, like I, I talked to my friend who's from Mexico, who's a El Tree fan, and he was talking about the World Cup, and he was like, you know, it doesn't even matter because, you know, we're both going to get out in the first round anyway. And I was looking at him like, what? What? We're not going out in the first round. We're definitely moving forward. Like, we have this unearned confidence in the United States. We have this American exceptionalism where we always believe that we have a chance to beat anybody in the world. I remember in the World Cup, I can't remember the year, the World Cup that Jurgen Klinsmann coached in, uh, where he was heading to the World Cup and somebody asked him, like, what is the team, what, what are the expectations for this team? And Jurgen made a bunch of headlines and people got, he, people ridiculed him and um, they made fun of him because Jurgen said, we expect to win the World Cup. That's why we're here. We're here to win the whole thing. Uh, and that's sort of always been the 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 American uh, ideal and the American sensibility. We want to win. We don't think anybody can beat us. We think we have just as good a shot as anybody else. We don't think that, you know, these guys are flesh and blood just like us. They, they, they can make mistakes just like we do. And whenever they do, this can be our day and we can win. I think that's always been the American mindset. I, I don't think we ever settle. Uh, I, I don't know where that kind of came into the uh, vernacular. Uh, I know that we missed the last World Cup and that had a lot of people frustrated. Uh, but but I, I think American exceptionalism is a very real thing. Let's uh, let's wrap this up. Big Harry Jake says, the only teams we 100% can't beat without extreme luck are Brazil and France, in my opinion. Yeah, those are probably the top two teams in the world right now. But at the same time, baby, we got some we got some ballers who can hit on the counter, man. And, and we got a, a, a fantastic team to execute a, a, a counterattack game plan. And uh, I would not want to play the United States if I was one of those teams. 
maybe that's just me being uh, really high on the squad and being overly optimistic. I, I'm definitely guilty of that. Uh, but at the same time, I, I do think the, the, the athleticism and the technical ability and the quality that this team has, you know, the, the U.S. has always been a difficult team to play against. The U.S. has, has given Brazil some really tough games in a, in a lot of games where, you know, we were just we were just tactically very disciplined. We held our shape, and then when we got counterattacking opportunities, we fought like hell and went right at them. The, this, this U.S. squad has a lot of those same attributes, but with a lot better players and, and, and with players that can beat you uh, technically as well as, as with their athleticism. So I'm excited to uh, to to see what can happen as we move forward to Qatar, guys. We got to wrap it up right now. We're coming up on the hour mark. Thank you guys so much for uh, for hanging out tonight. I know it was kind of a disappointing game. I know it was a really weird game, but at the end of the day, the U.S. is going to Qatar. We can start talking about making our plans for that. Uh, so I, I'm just really excited. Thank you guys for hanging out. Remember this this. Um, this channel, this this uh, video is going to be available in podcast form. You can get it everywhere you get podcasts. So uh, definitely check that out if you're into that. Thank you to my tier two subscribers, Manuel Alivares, Mike Irish, Chris Matassa, and Matthew Doyle, who's a new tier two subscriber. I don't think he's that Matthew Doyle. I think he's a different Matthew Doyle. And we got a tier three subscriber. So thank you to Matthew Hanna for uh, joining in as a tier three subscriber. Uh, guys, thank you so much for watching. Uh, my name is Sam, and this is the Yank Report, brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.